Hey folks, back for another episode of Mayhem in the Mid-South. It's going to be episode 10, Bloody Lester Street, part 4. While Sergeant Mullins and his team were processing the Lester Street address. Homicide got uh, sergeants and detectives from Safe Street's task force and the organized crime unit to canvas the area, interview the neighbors. Then they also had investigators talking to family members about the victims. Now, just real quickly, that Safe Streets Task Force, that's a federal task force, and it has local investigators, Memphis, Shelby County, Sheriff's Department, and Germantown, I think Bartlett, Cargoville. Anyhow, that's a, it's an excellent unit. They always have really good investigators in there. Now... Terry Max and Joe Stark from Homicide, they interviewed Junior. Junior, of course, being Jesse Dotson, Lieutenant Armstrong's, the one that assigned them to talk to him. So now this initial interview with Junior, it's down at 201 in the Homicide office. That's on March 4th, 2008. Now, at the time, Junior's not under arrest. And I don't believe, according to what I've seen, that he was considered a suspect at that time, just a witness. Now, Junior tells the investigators what he was doing on March the 1st. He said that he and the others, including Jesse Sr. and Mr. Waddell, they they were going to watch the U of M basketball game over at Leicester Street. But of course, they didn't get to see the game because the TV didn't pick up the broadcast. Junior says that uh, he left with uh, Cecil and Seals and then Seals' girlfriend. Now that was around 2.15, 2.30 in the morning on March the 2nd. And they said that the group dropped him off at his girlfriend's apartment. Now, he said his girlfriend, Sheila Jones, was not home. But now her daughter, Kira, was there, and Kira's boyfriend said Sheila came back home about 5 o'clock in the morning on March the 2nd. Now, Junior... tells... uh, 
the investigators that uh, Cecil was a gangster disciple and that Cecil had committed a violation and that he was in trouble with the gang. Now, while all this is going on, the surviving children, they're all still at Le Bonner Children's Hospital. Now, the three surviving children, they've already been operated on and the doctors there are doing what they can to keep the three kids alive. Now later, the primary doctor, Dr. Molbar, he said that um, when CJ arrived at the hospital, he was moaning but was awake. He was lucid and able to follow commands. CJ had trauma and swelling to the forehead. Part of a steak knife was sticking out of his head and a six to seven inch laceration in his scalp that extended down his forehead. CJ's skull was severely fractured and large pieces of his skull had been driven inward with a blunt force object. CJ also had either a glancing stab wound or two separate stab wounds on the back of his arm and chest and a superficial laceration across his neck, a laceration on his right hand, and a laceration on his left thumb. Now, the doctor testified that without medical intervention, CJ would not have survived the injuries. Doctor goes on to say that uh, Cedric had significant facial trauma and was essentially semi-comatose when he arrived at the hospital. Cedric has sustained injuries that were, in the opinion of the doctor, consistent with having been beaten with boards, including multiple fractures to his face, mid-face, and the lower portion of his skull, a fractured nose, which had been pushed inward, a small skull fracture with bruising on the back of the brain. Also, Cedric had sustained stab wounds to one eye, his forehead, and his neck. The doctor said that Cedric would not have survived without medical intervention. Now, Sanaya, she got to the hospital. She had significant head trauma, which included a large cut in her scalp that exposed her bone. Now, the right side of her skull had been pushed or crushed in with a blunt object, resulting in what the doctors call an open, depressed skull fracture. Now, a CT scan showed that her brain was probably cut and mildly bruised. Now, the doctor would say her injuries were consistent with being struck with boards. She also had stab wounds to her left lower extremity. Doctor said that 
without medical intervention, her injuries would not have been survivable. Lieutenant Armstrong decided to send some investigators over to try to talk with CJ, because CJ's obviously old enough they might be able to tell them something. And of course there's that fear that CJ's going to die. So obviously now the police consider CJ absolutely critical to the investigation. So on March the 5th, two days after the kids had underwent surgery, Carolyn Mason from Homicide went over to Le Bonner. She was told to go over there and find out the survivability for the children and try to get any information she could. Now, she tried to talk to CJ that same day. Now, CJ was in and out of consciousness, cursing, talking crazy, screaming out names like Cassandra and Roderick. Now, they took that information and they went back and they, they looked to see who these names were, who these people were. Now, they found out that Miss Williams had a sister named Cassandra. which would make sense. The names that C.J.'s hollering out are people he knows, not necessarily people that committed this crime. Now, Lieutenant Davison told investigators to continue to look at the information that C.J. was screaming out and see if any of it made any sense. Now later on, they send Caroline Mason back over there, at the time Sergeant Mason, and they sent Pat Lewis from the Child Advocacy Center as well to try to talk to CJ. Now on March the 7th, they got a phone call from LeBonner. Hospital staff said that CJ was awake and rational, and that the police ought to try to come over there now and talk to him. Now, during this interview on March the 7th, CJ says that Uncle Junior was the person that killed his parents and their friends, and that he's the one that was stabbing and attacking him and his brothers and sisters. So Caroline, she calls Tony Armstrong and says, Hey, CJ says that Uncle Junior did this. So Tony Armstrong tells her, Okay, don't tell anybody what he said. Just get back over here. I want to listen to the tape recording. 
Obviously, that's the right thing to do. Caroline had a tape recorder, got all of CJ's information on tape. So now Tony Armstrong listens to the tape. He makes the phone call, and they say, <laughs> he said, you know, let's go snatch up this Uncle Junior from the safe house, and let's bring him to homicide. And he told uh, Caroline Mason and Max to interview him. Now, when they bring... Junior down the 201 Poplar, he is absolutely under arrest. So they advise him of his rights, and he signs the rights waiver form, saying that he understands his rights and he's willing to talk to them. So they're in there talking to Junior. And they approach it from they want to clear up some things with him and try to figure out if he had any other information that he could provide in conjunction with his March 4th interview. Now Caroline asked him if he had any gang affiliation. He said he was a, had been a crip when he was in prison. Now Carolina asked Junior about his relationship with his brother Cecil. Junior says that there had been one time when Cecil had called the police and falsely reported him for having committed a robbery. Well, then Caroline then asked him again what he did on March the 1st and the last time that he had seen Cecil alive. Now, old Junior, he just regurgitates the same thing he said the last time. And he adds now, he said that him and Cecil and Seals, Mr. Seals, they had went to a fellow's apartment named Mr. Hill. Said that Seals needed to get a pistol from him. Now he said when Cecil introduced him to the men that were in that apartment, According to Junior, Cecil said that Junior was a... He said, this is my bitch-ass brother who just got out of prison. Now, that didn't sit very well with Junior. So they bought some marijuana and they left. And then Cecil drove to an apartment complex and picked up his son. 
son wasn't there. And then he says they dropped him off at Mrs. Jones's apartment. And he said that is the last time he saw Cecil. Now, after that, Junior decides he doesn't really want to talk to them anymore. Now, Tony Armstrong's been watching the interview via the camera that's installed inside the interview room. And he decided he was going to go in there and have a chat with Junior. Tony goes in there and he starts talking about how horrible the crime scene was. What Tony's doing is, Tony Armstrong, and what a good investigator does is, is when you're talking about certain things, you're watching the person you're interviewing, interrogating, you're watching their body language. Now, Tony Armstrong said it seemed like Junior was really, really tight when he got to the subject of the horrors of the crime scene. Now, Lieutenant Armstrong would later testify that Junior was just giving one or two word answers to questions and he wouldn't he didn't want to engage in open conversation. And then it got where Junior was just nodding his head or shaking his head. And of course what that is is a guilty person they resort to either shaking their head or just giving one or two word answers because they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing so they don't want to say anything. Which is not how he had been in the earlier interview. Now when he entered the interview room, Tony Armstrong said that he knows Junior's very familiar with the criminal justice system. And he also knows Junior had just been released from prison. So then Tony Armstrong asked him, does he believe in God and heaven and hell? And Junior says he does. Now Tony says when he starts this conversation, he says he can tell that Junior is struggling to maintain his composure. And that several times Junior would lean forward towards Tony Armstrong as if he wanted to say something and then he would just lean back. Because Tony knows if I can just get him to start talking, he, he won't stop. I'll, I'll have him. And Tony starts talking to him. He tells him that, you know, I know there's something you want to say. I know there's something you're hiding. Now, while Tony Armstrong's talking to him, he says, Hey, uh, what does your family call you? You got a nickname? Because, of course, during these past interviews... No one had referred to Jesse Dotson as Junior. But in the statement CJ gave at the hospital, he said Uncle Junior. So we've, you've got to confirm that 
Uncle Junior is Jesse Dotson. So Tony goes, hey, Jesse, what does your family call you? You got a nickname? He goes, yeah, Junior. Then he asks him, well, anybody else in your family referred to as Junior? Jesse Dotson says, nope. And Jesse goes on to tell Tony Armstrong, he says, no one else in my family looks like me. And no one in my family has ever confused me with anybody else in the family. So Tony asked him, he goes, asked him whether any of the family members, if they use the term Junior, the name Junior, would that mean they were talking about him, Jesse Dotson? And Jesse goes, yep. 